Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hello, how are you? Thanks so much for joining me. What sort of a week have you been having? I wish you could just call me up and have a chat and let me know. But I guess what you could do is send me a message through the website of breathoffreshair.com.au or even through the Facebook page, which is Sandy K Presents. I'd be so happy if you felt like connecting, whether it was just to say hi or maybe ask me to find someone special that you'd like to hear from. Go on. Want to know who's on the show today? Well, I'm very excited to be bringing you my chat with famed English musician Rick Wakeman, who's best known for both his solo albums, of which there are now more than 90, as well as being the keyboardist in the progressive rock band, yes. It is. I can't believe it. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's taken me, I don't know, seven months maybe to get you. (laughs) You may well laugh. It's been the most frustrating seven months of my life, but I'm very persistent. Good for you. Are you in Sydney? I'm in Melbourne. Oh, you're in Melbourne? I love Melbourne. I've been to a cricket match there and I also went to the Aussie Rules football final final there with the Swans which was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. The game was about three seconds old before everybody was beating hell out of each other. It was it was brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> well you'll have to come back. You know I genuinely have a lot of time for for us because it, apart from like a lot of people got relate well, actually I say relations down there they're all nearly all dead now but uh, but also uh, just great memories of so many times down there and, just, and hope that uh, you know I can get down again before I depart this mortal call because that would be that would be great it's just a great place to go to it puts a smile on your face when you go down there oh that's lovely to hear I've got lots of lots of memories. Uh, some of which are totally un- untellable. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, it's wonderful. Can I take you back through your most incredible life? Go on. I have to admit I didn't know all that much about you to begin with when my chase to chat to you began, but what I've read about you is just staggering. At age 25 you'd, you'd had a heart attack. Yeah, I had three of them. I've stopped having them now because they hurt. <laughs> and and at 30 you were one of the biggest rock stars on the planet and then sometime after that you were homeless and, and on park benches. What happened? Yeah, that's called divorces. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, divorce will do it for you. That's what's what happened there. Um, yeah, I mean I've, I've been married four times. Very happy now. I've been, Rachel and I have been together 19 years now, so we that's quite a quite an achievement for me well actually it's more of an achievement for her really than me um but the uh yeah no divorce is is somewhat crippling and each one of them you sort of go I haven't got anything anymore and then you start again well you've been incredible that you have been able to start again each time and and build it up and with such big dreams the whole King Arthur thing was really a dream that kept you going wasn't it yeah absolutely I, I mean the the whole King Arthur thing was just, uh, well, when I get a, a sort of a bee in my bonnet and I've got to do something, then, you know, then then I just have to have to do it. 
which is uh, sometimes a real pain for my management because they go, you, you can't do this. And and that that is like a red rag to a bull. That means, oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. You know, sometimes it works and sometimes it, it – well, it always works, but sometimes it doesn't work quite according to plan. But that's half the fun. Yeah. King Arthur was very special to me in so many re- re- respects. It's uh, It means a lot, King Arthur. I, was, I, I loved all the music that I, I wrote. I mean, a lot of it I wrote in hospital. So in a strange way, King Arthur is as much – an autobiography is, is about King Arthur, if, if the truth be known. But uh, I mean, the last battle I wrote after the doctors and specialists had, had a meeting with me in there with my management to say that they felt, because they dealt with heart problems differently back then. I mean, back then I was in hospital for nine weeks. Now they have you out in nine hours. You know, it's, a, it's so much different. And they basically said, well, look, we think you'll have to retire, no more touring and things. And I remember I, I went, sod that. I'd rather not be here, and just decided to, which was probably in one respect stupid, just to defy the, the doctors in every way, manner, fashion, and form. And in fact, I went on tour. You just went out on tour? Yeah, went out on tour, uh, which was, uh, well, now with what they know, I mean, obviously they, they work on the principle that the heart is a muscle and he's exercising. Back in the 1970, early 70s, it was, oh, it, you know, better rest it. And that's, I couldn't do that. But one of the funniest things was I, I played for the Showbiz 11 football team and I went back playing with them again. And it was pretty well known that I'd had these heart attacks. And it was fantastic because I played up front and, and all of the defenders, they were terrified to tackle me in, in, case, in case I dropped down dead. So it was, it was absolutely brilliant. I remember. So you had an advantage. Oh, it was great. I mean, what I did on a couple of occasions, if they, if they came in really hard, I'd, I'd fall over and just lie still for about 20 seconds and they'd panic. And I'd go, oh, that, oh something funny there. And then, and then they'd leave me alone. It was great. I scored more goals that season than all the others put together. Then they cottoned on. <laughs> and you couldn't get away with it anymore. Is there an absolute favourite tune that you have that the one that is more dear to your heart than anything else it's probably the theme to king arthur if i'm honest it's been used for so many things that 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 theme tell you things including uh, uh, loads of general elections over here and it's been used in south america for their news things i can remember writing that on that particular theme on a on a piano which i no longer own that disappeared in one of the divorces uh and I, rem- I can remember writing it, I had it in my head, and I wrote and, I, and played it, and I thought, you know what, that's pretty good. And I can remember thinking at the time that it was, yeah, actually, that's okay. So it is probably the King Arthur theme. Whoso pulleth out this sword from this stone and anvil is the true-born king of all Britain.
the music press reviewed King Arthur before it happened. They just actually slated the idea of the whole thing. Luckily, we'd sold out three nights at Wembley. Yeah. And about two, three days before the opening night, A&M, it was inundated from music press. Well, we need five, two, need ten. We haven't received any tickets. Luckily, general public don't agree with you because they sold out the three nights. I wanted to do it at Wembley. I wanted to do Wembley, and that's where I wanted to do it. Yeah. And I went to my manager's office at the time, and I said, I want to do the King Arthur. Uh, and I said, I want to do it at Wembley. And I'm not sure why, but Harvey and I said, no, I would do it at the Albert Hall. I said, I don't want to do it at the Albert Hall. That's the wrong venue. And I said, I want to do it in the round. I want to do it, you know, like, you know, yes, I'd already done shows in the, in the round then. Um, so I want to do it in the round, in, in the middle. Uh, of, uh, so it's, you know, with the orchestra and everything, can't do it. Uh, yes, I can. No, you can't. Uh, I can remember either going, no, 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 you can't. And he said, we'll do it at the Albert Hall. And I said, give me one good reason why I can't do it. And they said, well, because the ice follies. And I said, what do you mean the ice follies? Well, the ice follies are coming in in August to do their summer show. Actually, in July, the, uh, it, it'll be ice. So I came out and then I was really pissed off. I walked down to Notting Hill Gates railway station and I got on the train and I ended up at Fleet Street. And I got off these, I mean, obviously no mobile phones and things. And I went to a phone box and I phoned up Chris Welch at Melody Maker. And I said, Chris, do you fancy uh, a drink in the red line? He said, uh, oh, yes, yes, really. And I said, might have a story for you. He said, oh, great, yes, lovely. Thing. So we met in Red Line and I can remember sitting, I'm going to do uh, three live shows of. Uh, King Arthur. Great. He said, we had heard a rumour that that was, that was going to happen. I said, yep. Yeah. He said, where are you going to do it? I said, Wembley. He said, all right. And he said, uh, you got some dates? I said, uh, it's going to be July. And I said, it's going to be a little bit different too. I said, on ice. I said, I'm going to build a castle in the middle of the ice ring. I'm going to have skaters skating all around, depicting the various scenes. Are you serious? And I said, yeah. The following week, an article appeared in The Melody Maker announcing the King Arthur concert to be staged at Wembley in the round on ice. I guess if you want something badly enough, you can actually make it happen, can't you? And although that probably counts as one of Rick Wakeman's greatest achievements, he says he never rests on his laurels. I, I, I'm not one who looks back very much, I'm going to be very honest. I used to. I used to look back a lot. But I suppose the things in your life, not just musical, but you know, marriage-wise, divorce-wise, also, it's, you think, hold on, if I keep looking back, I'm not going to get anywhere. And I, and I, my father used to say to me that it's your past that shapes your present, and it's your present that shapes your future. So you can look back to your past and use the best bits for moving forward. And I suppose there are some things, visually on TV programmes, things I did over the years, that are stepping stones into how I got to where I am today and in a strange way the stepping stones will continue to whatever I do in the future.
Rick, your 122nd solo album, The Red Planet? Yeah, The Red Red Planet, I did it just before the, the, the major first major lockdown started. I managed to get it and re- recorded and done and ready, and then uh, we put it out. I can't thank all those who've supported me and, and wanted this album for a long time for giving me the encouragement, really, to, to do it. done really well here, uh, which we're, we're, I mean, really well. So we're, we're very pleased with that. Rick Wakeman's The Red Planet was completed with his backing band, the English Rock Ensemble. It's keyboard heavy in a similar vein to his 1973 debut, The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Stay tuned as Rick exposes his funny side. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for hanging in. I hope you're enjoying my chat with English keyboardist Rick Wakeman. Rick and Yes were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. Many say the accolade was long overdue, but whether you agree or not, Rick's acceptance speech was one of the funniest in the event's history. You may remember it. Take a listen to this excerpt. I'm very happy here for a couple of reasons uh, to be in Brooklyn. One is the fact, obviously, of of being part of Yes and uh, getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the other is something I really probably shouldn't tell you is that less than half a mile away from this very building was where I had my very first meaningful sexual experience. uh, No, 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 please, no. No, it, it, it wasn't very good. <laughs> Never is when you're on your own. Um, anyway, as Steve said, a thank you to his wife. I want to say thank you to mine. Unfortunately, she's not here tonight. When I left her this morning, uh, I, I think she was in a coma, actually. Well, I, I think she was in a coma. Uh, sex was still the same, but the washing was piling up. I would like to thank... Apart from all the guys in Yes that I've worked with, my father, who played a massive part in my, uh, in my musical career, my, my family were all, all in the entertainment business. We genuinely were very, very poor. Um, my father was an Elvis impersonator. Uh, and, well, there wasn't much call for that in 1947. He taught me a lot. I remember he sat me down once and said, son, he said, don't go to any of those really cheap, dirty, nasty, sleazy strip clubs because if you do, you'll see something you shouldn't. So, of course, I went, <laughs> and I saw my dad. <laughs> they, uh... Basically, in the UK, I'm known for 
comedy as much as I am for music. I've had, uh, I hosted a big comedy show in the UK for eight years called Live at Jonglers. And there was a huge program called Grumpy Old Men in England, which ran for six years, massively popular program. Yeah. But I have this thing about award ceremonies, and it's nothing to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It goes to the the BAFTAs in England or the Golden Globes or the, the Oscars. It's called acceptance speeches. I mean, they're just dreadful. I mean, how many times do you want to hear somebody thank their mother, director, the producer, uh, the, the the woman who did the makeup, uh, the aunt who bought the guitar and the first guitar strings? Yeah, nobody is remotely interested, and you can tell that because when people are talking, uh, it's not that that people don't care; they're just not listening. They're talking around the tables. Uh, it happens all the time. And I was literally just going to go up and just say, "Yes, thanks very much." Great, the yes are in. Sorry, Chris isn't here. And I was standing there and Trevor and John, who both know about all the comedy that I do in the UK, and Trev just went, go for it. I said, I can't. He said, go on, go on. I said, look, nobody knows me over here for doing doing comedy. He said, good time to start, isn't it? So I, I just started with a few one-liners that I use sometimes in one of the stand-up shows. So the hardest thing then was thinking on my feet. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to pluck things out of the different things that I use to, just to throw in to keep it going. It was great fun. With his wicked sense of humour, Rick has always provided the comedic relief in the bands that he's played with, first with the Straubs and then with Yes. It started at, at school, you know, when I was in trouble, if I hadn't done my homework, you know, rather than get the cane, I've, I discovered quite quickly if you could make the teacher laugh that they couldn't be angry. I learned that, you know, quite early on, and that music and, and telling gags and having fun covered a multitude of problems that you could get yourself into. <laughs> and as a session player, you've performed a whole bunch of classics from Cat Stevens' Morning Is Broken to Elton John's Madman Across the Water. Is there one that stands out for you as the most fun? Yeah, it was. It has to be doing, um, doing Hunky Dory with David Bowie. I did a lot of stuff with David, but doing that album was incredibly special the freedom that david gave you to play i mean tracks like life on mars you know he just said play it as you want to play it you know you and not everybody you did stuff for gave you the freedom to play exactly as you wanted to play and david was brilliant at that so yeah hunky dry life on mars probably yeah it's a god-awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore but she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on sailors Fighting in the dance hall Was I was doing a session in '68 for for a band called Junior's Eyes, really good band, and Tony was going to produce them, and he, he uh, booked me to go and do some organ with them. So I went down to the the studio and I put a lot of hammered organ on the, these tracks, and in the corner was a Mellotron. They just got it in, and I said, "Oh, when did that come?" They said, "Oh, we got it in a little while ago, but it won't stay in tune, so we don't use it." 
I had a bit of a break while they were doing other stuff. And I said, can I can I have a, have a go? And they said, yeah, of course you can. And so I switched it on and I'd never played one before. I was playing it. And basically in a simplistic terms, it, it's a series of tapes of recorded notes. And when you press a, a note, it presses the tape against a playback head. But obviously because of the motor, the more notes you press down, the more strain it is on the motor. So it starts to go slower. So the tuning goes all over the place. So I played around for a little bit and I found a way of doing certain fingering that if you did it carefully, you could avoid it going out of tune. Tony Visconti came out, he said, how do you do that? And I said, oh, just, there's a crafted little way you can you can actually you know get away with it and make it. He said, oh, that's interesting. And it was early 1969, I was working with a 17-piece soul band. We used to do all the Otis Redding stuff and Wilson Pickett and Sam and Dave. We were having a rehearsal on Thursday afternoon and there was a phone call. They said, look, we're in Trident Studios. Can you come up quick? We're, we're recording a track with David. He wants the Mellotron on it. We've got one here, but no one can keep it in tune. He said, and Tony Visconti said, uh, you were the only person he knew who could actually keep it in tune. So I drove up to, to London and David was there and it was Space Oddity. This is ground control to Major Tom. Afterwards, David said to me, I've heard some of your piano playing. He said, would you like to do some piano stuff with me? And I said, I'd love to. So he invited me back a few days later and I did Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud and uh, Memory of a Free Fest and a couple of other tracks. And then it was after that that he invited me round to his house and played on his acoustic guitar uh, the songs that were going to be on Hunky Dory. I found him so good to work with because he was so generous to musicians, unbelievably generous. I mean, with things like Life on Mars, where he said, uh, he said, okay, when he played to me on the acoustic guitar, I said, play it on the piano. And I said, how do you want it? And he said, you know how I want it. I said, well, no, you tell me how you, you want, it, want it played. He said, play it. So I played it. He said, that's how I want it. He was a real craftsman at, at songwriting. And, and of course, the great thing was his, his songs, the lyrics were always great. They always told stories because it came from the folk world. He was a folk singer. Rick Wakeman continued to lurch from one success to another. In 1973, his second album, The Six Wives of Henry VIII, reached number seven in the UK and number 30 in the US. It's got quite a good story to it, really. I, I was signed to A&M Records with Straubs. Yeah. And uh, part of the contract with Straubs was that each individual was also signed to A&M as an option, that if you left and they wanted to take it up as an option, they would do. I joined Yes, and we were over in America, and uh, Jerry Moss said, I want you to do an album. And I think it was because Yes were just starting to get some notice, big notice in America, and he thought, well, nothing to lose, really. So I got the magnificent sum of about $12,000. I went away, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll go do an album. Now, I don't sing, although I have sung on records, but I, 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 I don't enjoy singing. So it's going to be an instrumental. And I was trying to find a subject to do I was on tour and I was at a, a small airport on that tour and there was a book in one of the racks at a convenience store at the airport which was called Private Life of Henry VIII and I like my history so I bought the book started reading there was a bit about Anne Boleyn and whilst I'm reading about her I had this theme that came into my head 
And that's interesting. And I used the napkin and I drew some manuscript lines and I wrote it down. Yeah. We got to the hotel and I started reading a bit more. And the more I read, uh, and I came to Catherine Howard, she was only about 19 when he chopped her head off. Really? And I thought, I've got this here. I can do Henry and his six wives. And went back to England and over a period of nearly a year in between Yes Tours, I recorded the six wives. In 2009, I got invited because it was the 500th anniversary of uh, Henry's accession to the throne. And they said, would you like to perform the Six Wives of Henry VIII at Hampton Court? Never been allowed before. I had to get the Queen's permission and everything. I said, absolutely. I did it with a, a symphony orchestra, a choir, huge band. There was a lot of fun in doing it. I mean, because you know, as I say, like Henry, I've been married four times. before how what an influence in my life David David Bowie has been yeah in so many respects I learned so much from him in the, in the studio performing and wise and when he passed away I was asked to do a eulogy on BBC radio which I did taking lots of calls and I played life on Mars live and they webcammed it and a couple of days later the presenter called me up and said we've had nearly three million hits on the webcam he says people are saying you should release it and put it out I said I'm not going to release it out for for profit and a good friend of mine said do it as a charity record it'd be good to do and I spoke to my lovely wife Rachel and I said what do you think and she said I think first of all you should think to yourself if David were alive because you were great friends what would he say and I said well probably for a good cause like a cancer charity he'd probably say yeah, go, go for it. She said, well, do it then. So I did it, and we did it for a cancer charity, all the profits to the cancer charity in, in England. Did very well. The single was number one for about eight weeks, and it did really, really well. piano portraits and put tracks on it like Morning Was Broken which I did the original of and put Space Oddity on and a few other tracks and to my stunned amazement it sort of shot into the top five in England because one of the difficult things of course in the UK on radio they will not play instrumental tracks so I couldn't get any airplay and it stayed for about 11 weeks in the top top 10. I did some tours to go with it and it was really successful and then I did an album called Piano Odyssey which was, came in, in the middle again, which was a top 10 album. Uh, and this time, I just added it's a string section and a bit of choir. And there was an interesting thing in there because one of the tracks I wanted to do was Bohemian Rhapsody, because Brian May is one of my closest friends. I tried to do it for Piano Portrait, but I couldn't get it to work. And I went back to it and looked at it. I went, I know why it won't work. It does need those little additives, like a, a little choir coming in here and there, and a little bit of strings coming in here and there. So I did it, and we finished it in the studio sent it to Brian. I, I did phone him up for I said, Brian, I'm sending you something. He said, oh, great, what's that? And I said, I'm sending you a piano version of Bohemian Rhapsody. And he went very quiet. And he came back very quickly and said, uh, right. He said, I love it. Freddie would have adored this.
Wakeman's homage to Queen and his friend Brian May. The original six-minute-long Bohemian Rhapsody sold nearly three million copies and remains the third biggest-selling single of all time. It's been streamed nearly 200 billion times. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. I'm chatting with English keyboardist Rick Wakeman. Let's just head back now to 1975's The Myths and Legends of King Arthur. Rick has already told us that this was the favourite project of his entire career. The concept album, based on stories about merry old England, began in his hospital bed while he was recovering from a heart attack. It was a story. It was a fantasy story of basically music being the missing sense that was in all of us. It's the album that a lot of people really, really like. And looked at lots of projects that have been done with orchestras and realised there was one glaring thing that was that was so, staring us in the face. Yeah. What had happened for years with people who'd done projects with orchestras? There was the band music, and then there were orchestral arrangements done around the band music. So the most logical thing was, don't think of it as band and orchestra. Think of it as one. The band is part of an orchestra. You're writing for violin, strings, guitar, bass, drums, trumpets. You actually are making a giant orchestra. And that's really, the, I suppose, the principle that we used. I was also at that great advantage at that time because I was selling a lot of records, everything was going good, so nobody would argue with you. When we, we toured it, it sold pretty well. Uh, it sold four million copies. But I remember the record company calling an emergency meeting with my management because it had only sold four million copies and they were really concerned about the sales. It was very bizarre. We went out and toured it and it was an amazing tour. I, I had a seven-piece or eight-piece band I had a huge entourage at the time after King Arthur. I had a massive amount of people on the payroll. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, when, if I said it was three, at least three figures on the payroll, there was a lot of money just disappearing, just vanishing really, really quickly. It, it, even though there was money coming in from King Arthur, you know, it was, it was going out just as fast as it was coming in. The King Arthur shows on ice were a huge hit, but they were also the last of the big spectaculars. They had run at a loss, and when the production budget was slashed, at the end of 1976, Rick rejoined his former band, Yes. Rick Wakeman, that you simply don't have an off switch. Are you on all the time? Yeah. I'm up I'll past five, quarter to six in the morning. I have certain routines to set me up during the day. I um, feed the cats. We've got three rescue cats, so I feed those. Then I go and let, we've got um, two rescue dogs from Bosnia with another one coming. So go and sort them out. They get very excited in the morning and let them out. And then my, my missus is usually up by then, comes down. And then what I do is I, I I'm normally, I go into my office at, uh, I'm normally in there by seven, it's quarter past seven. And I'll try and get as much done by nine o'clock before the phone starts ringing. And it's, I find it the best time to get stuff done. And then it'll be in the studio or whatever it is I'm doing for the day. You know, I, I tried... To, to log off, except obviously when I'm on tour or in the studio, I try to log off at uh, by about five o'clock. So I've, I'll have done like 11, 11 hours odd, um, and then come in, come into the, come into that. I like to separate home from work. I really do. I'm, I'm not. I mean, when when people call me and it's about work at like at eight or nine o'clock at night, which my manager often does, I just sort of say. Can wait till the morning, and if you go, well, can I talk to you now? And I go, listen, Brian, you're on, you're at home, you're bored. 
You know, you're bored. You don't have a, a, a home life. You're bored. I'm not bored. Call me in the morning. And uh, you know, oh, all right. Then. So, so that happens every now and then. I, I like my home life, you know, walk the, walk, walk the dogs and do other bits and pieces. I like that. Are you taking better care of yourself these days? No. Um, well, I suppose I am really, actually, yeah, because I'm, I'm up on the high level of diabetes too and I was read the right act by my doctor and he said, well, unless you do something about it and lose some weight, um, he said, there's only one outcome. And I said, what's that? He said, you die. I went, well, I'm not ready for that yet. He said, well, lose some weight. So actually this year I've lost in, what have I lost in kilos? Probably five, ten. I've probably lost uh, about 15 or plus kilos. Wow. So do you feel you feel better for it? I hate to admit it, but I do. Really? <laughs> I, actually, I actually do. You know, I no longer bend down to do my shoelaces up and wonder what else I can do while I'm down there. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I, I, yeah, I do feel better. And, and, my, and my wife, right, she, she's really encouraged. She keeps on at me to you know, make sure of it. So I, I'd like to lose another 10 by Christmas. Right. So what's the trick? Eating more healthy and doing more exercise? It's a mixture of no snacking. You know, I mean, I'm a, I, I, so there's no chocolates, no, no snacking, no that kind of thing. And, and really not eating a lot just because it's a meal time. I mean, some days I'll eat a lot because I'm hungry and other days I won't. And you're right, it's the ex- I mean, dog walking really helps. That's great. playing the piano a lot and putting, trying to put projects and things together. I've been spending a lot of time apart from playing. We're in the process of moving house, which should have taken a couple of months, but it's taken nearly two years. You're a bit of a hoarder. Well, it's it, I am, I must admit. But also, we wanted to renovate the house and the, the, the getting materials during the pandemic has been just hilarious, just about nine impossible. So I've been doing that. And, you know, that's not been easy because obviously I had, I had since 2019, when it all kicked off, uh, I've had seven tours cancelled. And that is not good because basically, for my, like most musicians these days, your touring and your live performances is your income. But I guess that it's also given you a chance to rest, although I'd imagine that you don't rest very much. I don't rest. No. <laughs> no, I'm not a re- I'm not a, I'm not a rester. Uh, Where do you get all your energy from? Um, mainly from, uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know. From life in general, really. Uh, and I've got some good good friends and people around me who... We work work together who mostly are considerably younger than me, so they're very energetic. Also my kids. I mean, I've got six kids, 12 grandchildren, uh, so uh, that, that that keeps you. That's lovely. And and uh, are any as musical as you? Eldest boy, Oliver's made a few records. He played with Yes for a couple of years as well. He did. He's, he's what, 49 now? It's terrifying, isn't it? Uh, Adams is 47. He's been with uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath for 20 years. He's really good. They all play a bit. All of them do a bit, which is which is good because I, I want them to all do well because they're going to choose which care home I go into. <laughs> so they they need to do well. No, they're they're, they're great, and the the grandchildren are hilarious. 
So, you know, it's, it's, so I think if you surround yourself by people who are alive, then you've got no choice. You feel more alive too. Yeah, you've got no choice. Yeah. I mean, I've got friends who are my age and older and musician friends who are my age and older. But, you know, they, I don't spend that much time with them because, you know, all you tend to do is talk about... Aches and pains. Yeah, what visit last visit to the doctors, what bit fell off last week and that kind of thing. So, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I certainly understand that. You're not surrounding yourself anymore these days with a fleet of Rolls Royces? Uh, no, I've, I've, funny enough, you know, I've, I mean, I've just had a big clear out of a lot of keyboards and stuff that I thought, I haven't used some of this stuff for 30, 40 years. So what's the point in, in hanging on to it? So uh, and my son Adam said to me, Dad, you sell it, there'd be people who'd be love to play this stuff rather than stuck in boxes in your warehouse. And they're, and they're right. So I've, I've sold about 40 keyboards and other bits and pieces. Some have gone to private people. Some have gone to uh, a couple of museums, but, which is nice. You know, and, uh, and as regards to the cars, I, I do have one Rolls Royce, which is a rare silver seraph, which I love. But... You know, it's interesting what the pandemic does for you. I, I, it went down to the garage for a have summer done. I can't remember what it was. And he said to me, uh, do you realise it's, it's seven months since we had this car in? And I said, yeah, why? He said, you've done 11 miles since then. <laughs> Good job. I drive around in a, a 15-year-old Lexus uh, SUV, which I love, which is great. Throw everything in, the dogs in and that. And... And I think, well, that's what I do. I don't need the roller anymore. So that's going in an auction in July. So you're right, I am a hoarder, but I'm having somewhat of a clear out. Oh, that's very cathartic. I read about you that you're starting up Rick's Place again. We were avidly watching from this side of the world as you were doing all of those through the pandemic. You're getting ready to launch that again? Yeah, I'm doing six music pieces with, uh, I'm singing with Hayley, Hayley Sanderson. She's fantastic, she's such, such great fun. getting better with age you're getting more creative as you're getting older you like to think so uh you have i like to think you have creative moments i mean i felt that the red planet when i did it was some of the most creative that i've done for many many years uh, so that was pleasing you thought oh i mean still got a bit of it there I, it's very very difficult to analyze creativity because i mean when you're young everything is fresh Everything is new and fresh. As you get older, you're just, uh, to a lot of extent, uh, using the experiences that you've got. So you have to be careful when you're writing music that it's not writing from experience as against writing from uh, creativity. So you always try to... And, it's, and it's, it's, it's ever so hard to know sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm pretty honest. I, I know when I've written something and it's half decent. And when you've written something, you go, you know what? You know, that might be good for a TV theme, but it's not any good for anything else, no. Right. But you're still as passionate about it as you were when you set out? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's it's just, uh, it, it's a dream, really. I mean, I'm, I feel, I mean, I've had lots of ups and lots of downs and, you know, the ups are much better. Trust me, I much prefer the ups. But... You know, how wonderful. I, I was, funny enough, I was saying to one of my daughters uh, just a few days ago, you know, the, she, she said, what will you do if you, one day you can't play anymore? And I said, well, it'll be very hard. I'll always be able to do something because you can write, you know, even if you can't play as uh, with the dexterity you used to, you can always, I'll always be able to do something. And I might write some more books because the two grumpy books I wrote did very well. Uh, and I said, but... I said, at worst scenario, if I'm stuck in a rocking chair somewhere, I said, on, and I wake up in the morning and sit in the rocket, I will never run out of memories. That's what music has given me. You, you, you just, I mean, you can't ask for any more than that. 
No, you're absolutely blessed. Rick Wakeman, you were born the genius and you'll take that all the way with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I must, I must, I must owe you money for saying that. Well, it's a well-known fact and, and the millions of people right across the world would absolutely agree. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and I've had to wait a long time for it. Thanks, Sandy. And I, I, I'll have to get back down to, to Oz because I, for that I, owe, I definitely owe you a coffee. Okay, you're on. Thanks ever so much and hope to see you soon. Look out for Rick Wakeman's latest concept album. It's called A Gallery of the Imagination and it was inspired by his very first piano teacher who taught him to paint pictures with music. And that's where I'll leave you today. Thanks so much for your company. Don't forget to follow the podcast if you'd like to catch up with some of the back episodes of A Breath of Fresh Air. Till we meet again same time next week, have fun, won't you? Bye now. Cause it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to a breath of fresh air with Sandy K. Beautiful day. Oh baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.